It's TechBiter Worldwide. I'm Bill Blinn with an hour's worth of technology news in about 20 minutes. That's because we leave out the sports, most of the jingles, the weather, and the commercials. Podcast number 416 for October 26th, 2014. This week, even if you don't click anything, just visiting a site, sometimes a trusted site, can load your computer with malware. Adobe and Nielsen Ratings have formed a partnership, and I can't imagine a better combination. And in short circuits, Zoho aims for the back office. Yahoo sees something unusual, profits. Bullying seems to be just about everywhere. And CBS decides that streaming video is the future. Not all that long ago, it was easy to avoid malware. That's no longer the case. Don't click that link is still essential advice, but it's not complete. Just visiting a trusted site can expose you to malware. And in September, links to malware-infected sites were being served by Google's DoubleClick ad network. Some of the threats are all but invisible to antivirus programs, too. The campaign was of particular interest because it affected DoubleClick. It usually vets ads pretty well. In this case, the user was passed through several locations on the way to the malware. The initial link was served on an advertisement that offered the opportunity to purchase a report on used vehicles, if you had the car's VIN. The Malwarebytes blog described it this way, and I quote, The ad looks legit but hides a silent redirection to an exploit page. Once again, no user interaction is required to trigger the redirection, and anyone running an outdated Flash plug-in is at risk of getting exploited. Well, that certainly sounds nice, doesn't it? The key point is that the infection didn't depend on a user clicking a link. The malware used JavaScript that was hidden within the Flash image. Users who had updated versions of Flash were safe, but computers running unpatched versions of Flash would have the malware installed. That one reason is why it's important to install security updates provided by applications, as well as the security updates provided by your operating system. Flash, in particular, is a commonly used plugin. You'll find a Flash application in this week's TechBiter Worldwide program with an interview of Jerome Segura, the senior security researcher at Malwarebytes. Flash is also the application that I use to stream the entire weekly podcast from the TechBiter Worldwide website. Segura says the threat is probably worse than you think it is because it doesn't depend on your accidentally clicking a poisoned link. I think it's it's important for people to to realize, um, especially with malvertising, the nature of the threat. Uh, in that, I think there's a bit of misconception. Um, you know, a lot of people think, well, I have to you know to go to some adult site to get infected, or, or even you know I have to click on an ad to get infected. And really, here, um, these are threats that are affecting everybody uh, on popular sites, uh, legitimate sites, and don't require any 
any form of user interaction. So I think if people realize that, uh, then they can really, uh, you know, uh, arm themselves better. Last month, uh, the uh, Malwarebytes security log had a report about a uh, malware campaign that was using Google's double-click ad network to serve sites that uh, would attempt to load malware on visitors' computers. At this point, that isn't a current ongoing attack or an ongoing story because that particular exploit seemed to have been shut down yeah, pretty quickly, within maybe a day or two. But problems like that pop up all the time, they, they, and they occur without any kind of warning. So let's start by defining what's meant by the term malvertising. Malvertising is uh, short for malicious advertising. So it consists of a typically of a flash-based ad that is displayed on uh, on you know, popular websites. These sites are known as uh, publishers, so you get revenue from from uh, the ad networks. And uh, what happens is bad actors submit an ad that is malicious, then bid for placement on you know popular websites. And once the ad is loaded onto the website, people that visit the page will be redirected silently to uh, you know malicious uh, traffic and an exploit. It's important to note that uh, you don't actually need to click on the ad. Most of the flash-based ads are, uh, are very, very rich. You can uh, embed all sorts of scripting languages in there, in particular JavaScript. So uh, the simple fact of loading a page and viewing it uh, is enough for a script to trigger and in turn send your browser to visit malicious URLs. It looks like from some of the uh, the diagrams that uh, were shown on your blog that some of these things travel through multiple locations, if you will. What's the technology used here to uh, to, to serve the malware? Um, yeah, I mean, there's, there's usually uh, several layers. A, a website will, will deal with uh, one or multiple uh, uh, ad networks, uh, and the, the bigger ones typically are, are more trusted. So you'll see networks such as uh, DoubleClick being probably one of the most popular ones because of not only because you know it's, it's backed by Google, but also by the amount of data they have on users, and that's something really important within the ad space. In that you want to target your ads to your audience. Uh, whether they're you know from a specific country, their gender, the platform that they're using, if it's on mobile or a typical computer, uh, these are all things that are very interesting for advertisers. So if they go with you know popular uh, ad agencies, they they provide you know better, uh, more granular data to uh, you know to better target your audience. These ad networks such as uh, DoubleClick, they'll in turn um, you know provide uh, access. To, uh, to the page to uh, other buyers, potential buyers, uh, which could be, uh, you know, uh, advertisers directly or more usually um, other perhaps smaller than, than DoubleClick uh, advertising agencies. So these companies will buy from Google and in turn, uh, then they can resell to other, um, you know, to another third party, which could be a, an advertiser. Uh, the problem is that, um, at least from the Google point of view, the, the chain can be can be complex and long. And while you may be trusting your uh, first um, third-party provider, you don't really know or you don't have much control as to uh, how they're going to use that space, who they're going to sell it to. And that that's one of the problems with uh, with advertising. There was a time when people used to buy ad in bulk. Um, so you'd buy, you know, uh, you'd say, I want to 
you know, 10,000 impressions per day on this site, and this is, you know, how much I pay, and that was it. You, you know ahead of time. Now things are, are much more um, dynamic. The ads that you see when you browse, they're, they only, they're displayed based on a constant bidding between ad agencies. So you don't really know ahead of time which ad is going to be displayed. Uh, it's down to which advertiser is going to spend the most money on, on that spot at that, that particular time. So that makes it less predictable. You don't really know who's going to occupy that space. You don't really know if it's going to be one of your third, uh, third parties or somebody down the chain. And all of that creates a lot of complexity, uh, which creates a, a direct space for, for bad guys to exploit. It would seem that because this is so complex and, and could have so many layers, that DoubleClick and, and Google really couldn't reasonably be held accountable for for anything uh, malicious like this. In other words, they, they wouldn't be uh, legally liable in any way. Yeah, you're right. I mean, it's, it's, not, it's not their own networks that are compromised. You know, they're not the ones serving the malicious ads. But at the same time, it, it impacts them. I mean, it's, it's their business. It's their own reputation, and it's you know the ad business in general that is suffering from it. There's you know like you said in the beginning, uh, malvertising is very common. It happens all the time. It happens less on you know popular ad networks because there is a there is a bit more vetting process, you know, in terms of who you deal with uh, and the partnerships that you you have. For example, uh, if you want to buy ad space from Google, you have to be accredited by Google to be trusted in order to do that. And in the um, in the story that we published about the double click, you know, infection, the advertiser, which was uh, Zido, uh, was a trusted ad provider for Google. So Google already entrusted them with that, you know, relationship. And so it, it becomes a little more difficult. Google did react pretty quickly. Um, I think in the in the immediate, um, you know, in the few hours that followed the detection. They, they cut the relationship off until the provider could figure out what the problem was. But, you know, from uh, overall, I mean, it is impacting them. They can't, you know, they, they have to take that seriously. Now, in terms of, you know, the billions of ads that are printed on sites every day, how much malware is there? It's, it's a very low percentage. Uh, we don't really have exact figures. But when it affects uh, big sites like YouTube.com or Yahoo.com, you know, these are these are important sites. So the the spread of malware is going to be much more important on, on those types of sites. So I think that overall, it's um, you know, the, the the overall ad industry has to to look at you know what can be done to make this uh, this problem um, not go away because I don't think you can completely eradicate it, but at least reduce the risk by being um, you know perhaps have more transparency in who we deal with or in, you know, the numbers of uh, third-party um, advertisers that, that we sell to. I think if we limited that to a certain number, it'd be, it'd be easier to keep track on, you know, for example, DoubleClicks is out, I'm dealing with this company, um, but I want ads from you that you print directly, and I want you to resell to somebody else. That makes it a little bit more uh, controlled. You mentioned that these things yeah, usually get taken down pretty quickly once they're noticed, but of course they they pop up pretty quickly too, uh, and without any kind of warning at all. So it, it seems that that the uh, responsibility is still on uh, the person who owns a computer and who is using a browser to look at something on the internet to have some sort of defense mechanism in place. What what kinds of defenses can help? It's pretty much a, a whack-a-mole kind of game. So, you know, in the end, you want to protect yourself, regardless of 
the efforts that the you know ad networks are going to put in place, you want to make sure that when you're browsing any site, because we're not talking about uh, dodgy sites, we're talking about any site, you know, especially you know mainstream sites that get affected as well. You know, you want to make sure that uh, your computer is up to date, that uh, all the plugins in your browser are up to date. If you don't use certain plugins, for example, such um, Java, uh, you can disable it in the browser. So there are certain add-ons that are not necessary but are um, there are threat vectors, so it's better to disable them. There are certain top solutions such as um, pop-up blockers or ad blocks that um, will block ads completely from being displayed as you, you browse the site. These are effective, but there are there are drawbacks on them. Your user experience browsing the net is going to be diminished. You're going to have you know a lot of time you know click allow 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 you know to allow every single time a site is sending you know whether it's a flash based. Uh, content or even JavaScript, and also it it goes against the whole advertising model in a sense that a lot of the the websites that give you content they rely on the adver- the uh, revenues from advertising to give you that content, so it kind of you know kills that. So I think overall it's probably better at least that's what I would recommend that uh, people make sure that the computers are up to date, they have proper antivirus and anti malware security. And as far as these type of threats, which are all web-based uh, and don't require user interaction, software like anti-exploit software that detects uh, malicious behaviors is, is really helpful as well. I think most people know already that it's a, a really bad idea to install more than one antivirus program. Back in the old days, uh, people used to think, well, if one is good, two will be better. Uh, but of course, that was never the case. Malwarebytes is a, a different kind of application, and as I understand it, it coexists with an antivirus application. It's not like uh, uh, it's not a simple math equation of I'm going to add ten AVs to my computer, and it's, you know I'm going to be ten times more protected. It doesn't work that way. And in fact, you know there there are disadvantages. Uh, sometimes even running one AV can really slow down your machine. So imagine putting a couple. And then your computer becomes almost unusable. So malwarebytes, I mean, we, we place ourselves in the uh, anti-malware category. We don't go after, you know, traditional uh, viruses. So we're more after threats that are, um, you know, that are relevant to the users, like current threats. We maintain a fresh d- database of, you know, of, of threats. And also being, one thing that we, we try, we try for is being able to detect what we call the zero-hour malware, so things that are very, very new and drop to the user. And that's really, I think, for, for all security products, that's one of the main um, difficulties. There's no question that a particular threat can be detected by any antivirus or anti, uh, any security product in general, but the question is how fast it be detected. For example, you'll see a lot of the free products like uh, Microsoft, Microsoft Security Essentials, which is, you know, is, is quite good. But they will detect the threat perhaps six, 12 hours later, which by then the threat has already moved on to something else. So what we strive for is detecting that threat as soon as possible. So we have we do it in, in a few different ways. We have uh, generic signatures that uh, will work on, on families of malware that we see. So instead of having a single fingerprint, we, we catalog a threat based on certain aspects that it shows. So if... Uh, you know, there's a mutation or a variant of that threat in the future where we're able to detect it as well based on those uh, characteristics. And as well, you know, as, um, from our own research labs where we have, you know, various honeypots 
and other systems that collect threats in real time. We also analyze this, you know, in top priority. Anything that is a result of an infection from things like malvertising or other type of drive-by downloads, uh, these are rushed to the researchers because they they have more value in our eyes than, you know, other types of threat that you you may download as a user and down, you know, click, double click, or things like that. Uh, we see threats that come to you uh, unwillingly, as you were just browsing the web, for example as much more uh, vicious and uh, dangerous to the, to the users. So uh, anything that's web threat related, that's, that's something that we work really hard on as well. That's Jerome Segura, Senior Security Researcher at Malwarebytes. Malwarebytes provides free and paid versions of anti-malware and anti-exploit applications. I've used the free version of Malwarebytes anti-malware for several years. Recently, I decided to shell out a few dollars for the paid version. In a few weeks, I'll let you know what I think of the paid version in comparison to the free version. Nielsen, the TV ratings firm, and Adobe Systems say they're going to be working together to provide ratings services that go far beyond television sets. Some alliances make more sense than others, and at first glance, this one seems to be genius. Nielsen may know television, but Adobe knows print, the web, and just about everything else. Advertisers have probably noticed that television viewership has changed dramatically in the past decade. The old broadcast networks are often also rans behind several cable-based networks. In addition, people can watch videos on computers, tablets, and even phones. Advertisers are trying to figure out where to put their money, and basic Nielsen ratings just don't provide the information they need. Operations such as Netflix are also in competition with traditional networks because they're now creating their own programs. Recently, HBO, which is owned by Time Warner, announced a deal with CBS to create a system that will allow people to watch some programs without the need for a cable television subscription. More on that later. Nielsen ratings, though, look only at the information they receive from viewers, and earlier this month, Nielsen had to admit that a database error probably resulted in wrong information being provided for several months' worth of TV ratings for the broadcast networks. The two companies, of course, explained the new arrangement with a video. You'll find that video on the TechBiter Worldwide website.
In short circuits, Zoho has been around for nearly a decade with an assortment of cloud-based applications that's larger than what Google offers. Now Zoho has announced plans to expand its offerings. Zoho's parent company has been in business for almost 20 years. The expansion goes well beyond word processor, spreadsheet, presentation, and customer relations management applications. The new Zoho subscriptions program will add Zoho Books, an accounting application. Early in Zoho's history, the user interface varied significantly from one application to another. The company has taken a fiscally conservative approach to building the business, having never accepted venture capital. That's highly unusual. The privately held company apparently has no plans to provide a huge payout to the originators by going public, and that's even more unusual. Initially, Zoho will offer a six-month trial of both Zoho subscriptions and Zoho books, 50 bucks a month. All right, $49 a month. There's no limit on the number of transactions you can process at 50 bucks, uh, 49 bucks a month. Those who stick around after six months will pay 50 bucks a month, $49 a month. And that buys them a plan that covers the first 50 credit card transactions during the month. There's a $5 charge for every additional 50 transactions. The accounting process handles invoicing and payment information, then generates a receipt and reports the income to Zoho Books. The integration process is key to the new program, and the goal is to eliminate situations that require users to enter the same information in several locations. Zoho has both free and paid services. You'll find them all listed on the Zoho website. There's a link from the TechBiter Worldwide website. Yahoo surprised Wall Street this week by posting profits that were considerably ahead of what analysts had expected. CEO Marissa Meyer announced that mobile revenue exceeded $200 million in the third quarter. She thinks the company will hit $1.2 billion for the year. That's quite a change for a company that's been struggling. Yahoo, when combined with Tumblr, which it owns, has nearly half a billion users on mobile devices. That's an increase of 17% from last year. Meyer said most Yahoo business units are reporting better performance. Mobile, advertising, and services are all doing better. And the company still holds $43 billion in stock for China's Alibaba Group and Yahoo Japan. The company is trying to determine how to obtain value from those investments and to do it in a way that won't incur a large tax debt. Third quarter revenue was $1.15 billion. That beat Wall Street's projections by about $100 million. Excluding one-time income and stock compensation costs, the company reported $0.52 a share. That's close to double the $0.30 a share that analysts had expected.
The Alibaba and Yahoo Japan stock have been important in maintaining Yahoo's overall value. There's been talk of a merger between Yahoo and AOL. That's an idea that's been pushed by the Starboard Value Hedge Fund. study by Pew Research Center says that online harassment and bullying have affected more than half of all online users. The incivilities reported by Pew include threats of violence and anonymous emails. One of the more visible incidents involved a critic of violent computer games. Anita Sarkeesian was forced to cancel a speech at Utah State University because the university could not guarantee her safety. Recently passed legislation in Utah explicitly allows concealed guns to be carried on college campuses. The objective of the Pew survey was to quantify harassment in all forms on the Internet. This could range from relatively mild incidents, name-calling, for example, but also includes stalking, physical threats, and sexual harassment. Nearly 75% of survey respondents reported having witnessed harassment, Of those who had personally experienced harassment, a little over half said that it had been in a milder form. In total, about 40% of Internet users said they had been harassed in some way at some time. Pew surveyed 2,800 adults, so the report doesn't touch the problem of cyberbullying by teens. However, an earlier study in 2012 found that teens were more likely than adults to witness such behavior on the Internet and specifically on social media sites. Half of the people who said they had been harassed also said they didn't know the person who attacked them, based on the most recent incident. Surprisingly, and particularly in light of recent news accounts, men reported harassment more often than women did. Streaming video on demand, CBS. Should those terms be in the same sentence? Apparently some of the folks at BlackRock have decided that they should. As I mentioned in the Nielsen Adobe account earlier, CBS has decided that streaming video is the future. Who will be next? ABC? NBC? All access for six bucks a month. All right, $5.99 a month. That's $6. All Access will offer thousands of episodes of popular CBS shows, both those currently on the air and others that aren't. Current season shows will be available the day after they air. 
It's available right now at cbs.com. Here's a memo to marketers, by the way. Could you marketing folks who insist that prices end with 9 or 99 please just get a life? You're not fooling anybody by saying that it costs $5.99 or 99 bucks or $29.99. We really know it's 6 bucks or 100 bucks or 30 bucks. And probably it's going to be more because of tax, shipping and handling, and whatever other gotcha fees that your company can add to the price. Well, to get back to the story, CBS will add a library of older programs, and in 14 metro markets, local CBS stations can be live-streamed. Football broadcasts, however, will not be available. CBS CEO Leslie Moonves says the service is a way to monetize the network's content in a way that viewers want it. Some CBS programs are already available on Netflix, and up to 6,500 episodes of current and past programs will be available at any time for streaming on All Access. Current programs will come with ads. The older programs will not. Thanks for listening to TechBiter Worldwide, the weekly podcast with an hour's worth of technology news in about 20 minutes. All music on TechBiter Worldwide is licensed under the Creative Commons, and information about performers is on the website, www.techbiter.com. I'm Bill Blinn, and if you'd like, you can also send me a message from the website. Thanks for listening. I look forward to talking with you again in a week.